Earners, what's up? Look, as an entrepreneur, the dream is to earn a living doing what you love. But let's face it, turning that dream into reality is no small feat. That's where Kajabi steps in, transforming challenges into opportunities. I've been there, juggling every aspect of my business, wishing for a simpler way to diversify revenue and grow my brand. Then Kajabi changed the game. It's an all-in-one platform that empowered me to not just build, but thrive. With Kajabi, creating online courses, membership sites, and more became not just possible, but easy. And the best part? I kept 100% of what I earned, thanks to Kajabi's no-commission policy. But Kajabi isn't just about tools. It's about building a profitable business with the support of robust analytics, easy payment options, and customizable templates all without needing a huge team or audience. Join me and thousands of entrepreneurs making six or seven figures on Kajabi, regardless of your audience size. If you're ready to turn your passion into profit, Kajabi is your next step to success. So what are you waiting for? Build, grow, and keep what you earn with Kajabi. Start your journey today. And right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash earn. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash earn. Kajabi.com slash earn. And join the entrepreneurs and creators who've made over $6 billion. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Head over there now. Earners, what's up? Look, this episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your money. I can't front. The nerds have helped me get smarter about a few things, like planning my tax bills so that I don't dread April every year, or making a budget that's balanced, not just buying sneakers and fly clothes, or saving on travel because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night or maybe a five-star dinner. Or boosting my credit score, since we all know credit is like the real-life cheat code. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines can have on your life. You'll get the clarity you need to make smart decisions with confidence. Smart money is the smartest way to get even smarter about money. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you? Well, thank you. The time has come, ladies and gentlemen. InvestFest, that's right. That's right. InvestFest 2023 is here. August 25th, 26th, and 27th in Atlanta, Georgia. We are taking it to a new level. Bigger than ever. This year, we're going to do 20,000 people in Atlanta, Georgia. I want you to do yourself a favor. Head over to investfest.com right now. We will have activations from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Three days, musical performances, billionaires. Everything is going to be a completely life-changing experience. Vendor Marketplace, Food Truck Village, you know how we do. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Head over now. Now I want to just do stuff because I can. I want to do it when I know I could do a good job. You know, this saying... Jack of all trades, master of none is still better than being a master of one. I don't want to do so many things that my music or my acting or or the sports starts to diminish because I'm just spinning too many plates. A jack of all trades, a master of none is better. I've never heard anybody say that before. I've never heard the second part. I've never yeah, heard the second the part. part. You know, people forget the second part. They always say you don't want to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. But it's still being, it's still better than being a master of one. 
my graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> F a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. Yes. We are back. Yes, yes, yes. LA. Um, this is gonna be a legendary episode. We got one of the goats in culture, Ice Q. Yeah, so, so much to talk about. But before we start, I give a big shout out to my brother Baron Davis and the whole slick team. This is his studio in Los Angeles, and he was gracious enough to let us use his facility. So shout out to BD and shout out to WTF. Media, yep, yep, for making the magic happen. Um, yep. but without further ado, this is somebody who is an icon in the game, somebody who really needs no introduction. Um, you know, when you talk about music, when you talk about film, TV, and now sports, somebody has dominated over the course of 30 years and revolutionized every single thing that I just described. Mm -hmm. Uh, O'Shea Jackson, yeah. So, the legendary. So they call this a, a true West Side connection. Legend in so many different games, but has really, you know, become a superstar entrepreneur and um, spearheaded the big three. Yeah. Which is, I believe, the only, correct me if I'm wrong, the only black owned professional sports league in America. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Something that has just taken the whole world by storm and, um, you know, about to actually kick off a new season in a couple of weeks. So we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about the music, entrepreneurship, everything. So first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. You know, this is a this is a nice West Side connection. <laughs> <laughs> it's only right. It's only right. The only way. <laughs> so, um, all right, let's get into this. So the big three, let's, yeah. let's go through it. First, let's start the origin. I know it starts in, 20, in 2017. And... Anybody in any neighborhood has played three on three basketball. One on one basketball, two on two, and three on three. So yep. it's something that was already familiar to us. But what made you have the idea to actually take it from the playground to an arena? Well, you know, we we rewind about two years back to 2015 is when I started to really uh, look at the three on three game. I had saw so many tournaments like weekend warrior, put your squad together, come out and play for, you know, Sprite or Mountain Dew or Nike or whatever. But it was all amateur outside, you know, nothing, nothing professional. Then I started looking at three on three, not just me, but, but my uh, partner, Jeff Quinness. Uh, we started looking at three on three all over the world and to be honest three on three is played more than five on five when you take about you know you take every basketball bouncing in the world mm -hmm. most of them are three on three over five on five and around the world it's because of uh infrastructure you know they wasn't and you know, they didn't have you know 50 60 years of basketball now we got 75 but so so they play a lot of three-on-three. Three. Realize a lot of kids play three-on-three. Three. We all play more three-on-three three than five-on-five, five, you know, in our lifetime. So um, it all, you know, it just was right. And there was like a void in the in the market in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, if you like me, after the NBA Finals, 
you kind of hibernate till till football start. So I'm like, yo, this is a nice gap in the summer where it's like nothing that's really popping. No full season happens from June to September, but the big three. You know, everything else is mid-season or preseason. Uh, so we just felt like this was the perfect sport at the perfect time. And it's already kind of in our it's it's in our DNA to 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 understand three on three. So after you have the idea, you have to create a business structure around it. So what's that like? Because when we think three on three, we're thinking like people playing in the parks. Y'all yeah. not playing in the parks. Y'all playing in actual NBA arenas. So how is that building the structure around it, getting players to commit to it, getting coaches, getting sponsors? What what was that like in the beginning? You know, working and arguing about about rules, uh, working about business model, you know, just kind of working it all out, arguing about that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Really um, trying to figure out the best way to, to introduce this league and what is this league about? Uh, and we felt like the, the mini all-star game was the was the hook um we're gonna go from city to city gonna take the whole league you can you can see the whole league if you go to a game mm-hmm. and we're gonna bring in you know over a hundred athletes that you know you know probably seventy five percent of them you know you've seen them somewhere or or you're actually a fan so that was the business model and we were gonna treat our our uh, players better. We were going to give our captains control um, on who he plays with, mm-hmm. you know, not have a GM and just really make it a player's league um, and, and be outside the box, you know, come with our own rules that made our, our game more interesting than if you look at FIBA three on three, it feels pretty amateurish you know Mm -hmm. it feels like outside pickup game stuff but we wanted to do things that would bring us into the arena create the atmosphere and create the style of game that was better to to watch and better to play for the for the uh players and so in doing that you know we we mixed it all a pot like gumbo you know what i'm saying (laughs) and and um and came out with the big three. And for the last three, four years, we've really been tweaking it and adjusting it. So all the games are interesting. You're never out of a game. You can always come back because of the rules that we've laid down. You know, our four-point circle is, to me, um, necessary and, and, and innovative and smart. Um Bring the fire, you know, one of our rules where you can challenge a foul. Uh, once a half, you could challenge a foul and how the players go one-on-one if you didn't like the call. And <laughs> if he, if he make it, the foul count. If you, if you, if you stop him, then the foul comes off the, the board. You know, it's things like that that we can do in the three on three game that you can't quite do in the five on five game. And it makes our game unique. So. Speaking of the business model, how is it? Because like the NBA, for instance, or any sports league is owned by the owners. 
right? And each team, they own their team, obviously, and they hire the commissioner. But you guys have full ownership of the league, right? It's different. Yes. It's like the team. There's no ownership in the teams, per se. Not yet. Okay. We're starting to move to that model now. You know, we're in talks with a few. Uh, one MLB owner, another former NBA owner, to buy teams. Mm. But we did start with the, you know, kind of like a NASCAR or U- UFC or something. You know, we wanted to make sure that we could calibrate the league before we started to sell teams to owners because we wanted the league to work and we didn't want, you know, too much interference with our adjustments. Mm. And I think we're at a point where it's time to take these teams and put them in cities with owners. Um, but this year we're still going to go with the, the, uh, with owning the whole league and, and getting another season like that under our belt before so, we start. So you would prefer to have different people owning different teams? Yeah. You know, that's the growth of the league. You know, that's us owning the league, you know, in its entirety forever was never realistic or never, you know, our plan. Our plan was to get the league, make sure it worked uh, from all angles, and and then start selling teams, then expand. Um, so that's where we at. We're in that process right now. Yeah, I feel like the last time, especially our generation, has seen a basketball movement travel like this. It was and one. Yeah. Right. So when I look at your model, I'm thinking like, was there an influence in that? Because it, when we were watching that, we we were rooting for N one, and then we started to find out who the players were, and then we yeah. rooted for them. And so I see something very similar here, where it's let's root for the league, and now we have teams. Obviously, we see trilogy is dominates, and that we can find guys inside of there. Like, all right, these are the players. Was that the biggest influence in model that y'all were looking at? One of them. Um, I also played in in the NBA has some called the Entertainment League. The, the NBA E League, yeah, yeah, out here in uh, last week, triple double, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know they they would they would gather a few of us and go play in Phoenix or go play in um, you know Oakland or whatever, you know. And it was cool because people would come out and check it out. So I was like, yo, this model is pretty cool, going from city to city. Especially with something like this, because you're kind of introducing people to the game. Mm-hmm. And I mean, seeing a seven footer play three on three basketball in person is a is a whole nother experience that I don't think you would ever forget. So so we want to go from city to city. And then pretty soon, you know, these these teams will land in their own cities and We'll go there most of the time. The crazy thing about three on three, because I played basketball my whole life, a lot of people don't know this. Three on three is actually a different game than five on five. Definitely. Like, remember Ed Crenshaw? <laughs> we had we knew this kid, we knew this guy. Shout out to Ed. He wasn't the most athletic. He probably wasn't the best on a five on five, but he's pre- virtually unstoppable three on three. Yeah. So it's like, I think that it's actually introducing a whole new way. Like, even if you when you see the Olympics, yeah. introduced. I want to ask your thoughts on that, but. Mm-hmm. It's not the same experience as a basketball fan. You can go to a five on five game, but if you're watching a half court three on three game, it's not it's not the same. It's it's different. Definitely not the same. Different skill sets. You know, um, and I'm glad you brought that up because we've had guys who come 
straight from the NBA, and they struggled in the mm-hmm. big three. And then we've had guys who didn't make it to the NBA, and they shine mm-hmm. in the three-on-three format because it is a different game. You know, in five-on-five, you can be a specialist. You know, you can be defensive stopper, three-point sh- shot guy. Run the court. Yeah, rebound guy. Yeah. No, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't have to be able to do too much else. but Come but, off screens. Set but screen. in three-on-three, three, yeah. you have no, nowhere to hide. You have to be able to pass, dribble, shoot, and defend, or you're going to get embarrassed. So you got to have all-around basketball skills to be successful in three-on-three because it's not the help coming. It's not the screens coming. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's mano-a-mano pretty much. You got to man up. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, I mean, I saw, I watched it in the Olympics this year, but as you're creating this league, it's becoming something. And I feel like overseas, we watch three on three all the time. Like mm-hmm. I see the highlights, it's always a three. It's never five on five when I watch highlights from overseas. So when you see it become an Olympic sport, what are your thoughts? Do you feel like the, the impact is growing? Or do you feel you're responsible for that? Both, right? Well, we did announce before they announced that it was in the <laughs> Olympics. So he's humbly speaking. I got to say that we, we, we sparked something, hopefully, but you never know. I think it's two different types of game. Like you have the NBA and then you have the Olympic five on five. It's, it's two different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, same with, with FIBA three on three and the big three. Um, you know, they're, they have the, the amateur version of the game that they do very well. And we have the pro version of the game. We actually had a few Olympians come and play in the league. Mm. They play for the aliens. And so we just feel like it's two different experiences. Although, you know, that doesn't hurt what we're doing at all because it just puts more attention that that three-on-three basketball is worth your time and, you know, your your, your effort and your, your money to, to pay attention and, and, and love the sport. So let's talk about overseas expansion. Um, that's something that all major sports leagues have done. NFL, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are playing two games in London this year. Mm-hmm. And they've had NBA games in France and, they, of course, London. There's NBA Africa. So you, for the first time, Big 3 is going to be at the O2 Arena Championship yeah. and All-Star game, right? That's, that's major. Yes. So obviously you're doing that intentionally, right? So what's the plans for overseas growth and how does that fit into the business model uh you know we've always had our vision overseas um not only europe but asia and you know to me it's it's part of growing a league you want to you want to be worldwide and you know basketball uh boxing or ufc you know mma and soccer are the three things that translate all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had our a game in Toronto in 2019, I believe, or 18. Uh, we did our championship in the Bahamas in 2021. And so going to London is, you know, a great statement for the league you know we're not only taking our championship game over there but like you said our all-star game so 
you'll be able to see the best that the big three has to offer, you know, in London. And, you know, we have a vision of, of, of making what's called the big cup and have each country submit a team and see who got the best three on three players <laughs> in the world. Um, we also wouldn't mind if an owner bought a team and put it in London. You know, by us playing once a week, we have time for the travel. You know, it's uh, we can play anywhere in the world. So that's another advantage of the league. Yeah, that, that makes a true world champion, right, when you do that. Without a doubt. A another way to help the league grow is is having exposure. Mm -hmm. And for a while, when when the league started, you could watch it on CBS. I know now there's a structure with Paramount Plus. What was that conversation like getting it to the networks and trying to convince them that this is something that is worth picking up and how it's going to scale going forward? It was a it was a big part of the league. You know, we understand, you know, we could have, you know, went straight to a streamer and, and got a check and did it like that. But to be able to put it on a major network for the first two years we were on, we were on Fox. Mm -hmm. First was on FS1. And um, and and then we got some of the games on Big Fox, but we've been with CBS for three years. It's our fourth year, and you know half the games are on CBS, which is which is great. You know, it's it's great. We're growing the league. Our our ratings are uh, better than NHL, MLS. You know, they have more games, but you know we have. Um, a constant amount of people watching, you know, which is which is damn good for a league that's only been around six years. So, you know, we're trending in the right direction. We're back on CBS this year and Paramount Plus. The inspiration from others drives us forward. Their resilience pushes us to excel, and their path navigates the way towards freedom. Ford is proud to celebrate black history, not just this month, but year-round. They're committed to being the fuel for change, supporting Ford Fund programs centered around economic, educational, and empowerment opportunities for our communities to continue creating the future. Learn more at FordFund.org. Build Ford Proud. Um, we are working out our second platform. So mm. half the games will be on CBS. Half the games will be on the second platform. Um, and to me, that's the best way to grow the league is to Stay on network television. So, so you said somewhere that you had higher ratings than like NASCAR. No MLS and uh, NHL. Okay. Yeah. So, correct me if I'm wrong. As a as a sports league, you make money off of being on television, mm -hmm. ticket sales, obviously to the games, and then merchandise, variety of other stuff, right? That, and that's sponsorships. Sponsorships. Yeah. Corporate yep. Those are the four big things. Yeah. So, all right. So, um, how has that gone from you? How has that gone for you so far as far as to work with corporate brands to scale up and you got good ratings to, you know, work out different deals? Is it like doing one off with these TV situations or is it like three year deals or 10 year deals and, and like kind of projecting it in the future? Well, you know, our deal with CBS was a two year deal. And and they re re upped it, uh, so and and with brands it varies. You know, some are three year. You know, our first deal with with Adidas was a five year deal. 
Um, it just varies. And, you know, the craziest thing was to have this league during the pandemic mm. because, you know, everything, you know, kind of went back to, to square one till we kind of built it back up because all brands were, um, they was just calibrating and, and redoing their business models on how they approach advertising. Some brands realized during the pandemic, they didn't have to advertise a lot because they were still selling out of their products. So, you know, we had to live through that, adjust through that. Um, and, you know, what's great is we're, we're getting more and more corporate sponsors, you know, every year. Um, we got more this year than we had last year, and we still haven't started the season. So we're hoping more come in. But that's, to me, you know, the the constant fight when you have a league. You know, brands will come in and, and, and go out. You mm -hmm. know? So, you know, the thing is to be around long enough to get those five- and ten-year deals is the key. Yeah, talk about, you know, leveraging your celebrity. Because I remember the, when the league first started, uh, we were watching the games, but there was a marketing campaign behind it. You didn't know who you were going to see sitting front row. Yeah. And so how how did you manage to approach people like, hey, this is something you got to see? Because I'm, I'm watching the games. Oh, wait, is that so-and-so sitting front row? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we wanted to, you know, we come from entertainment. So we knew the games have to be, you know, dead serious, but everything else we can have fun with. And we can encourage um all our friends, people we know, we can encourage this to be the place to be in the city. You know, when we come to town, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's really a cool experience. It's different than the NBA because when you come to a big three game, it's not just the corporate guys hanging out. You know, you got whole families there. Mm -hmm. You know, you got people bringing their kids and, and the neighbor's kids. You know what I'm saying? So it's that fun atmosphere. Uh, nobody going to tackle you if you run down and get an autograph from Dr. J. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's it's like that on purpose. You know, I wanted it to be fun and different than than just your typical NBA game, which is pretty standard, you know. So about Web3, I know you guys have a Web3 project, Forever Experience Action Token, I believe. Yeah. So how, yeah, what's, what's the deal with that? Well, you know, when NFTs came out, a lot of people didn't understand what they were. A lot of people, you know, was like, yo, why would why would you sell digital art? Who was buying that? And so the next step in, in, in NFTs was was utilities, like being able to buy this NFT and have physical and real things that you can do with it and not just be a piece of art. And so what we what we came up with was was a feat, which is giving people an ownership like experience. Like if you was the owner, you would you would have special parking, you would have, you know, VIP treatment, you know, you would have access to practices and, you know, the the players and 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 the functions and the parties and the the things that we do. And so that's what we offered. You know, we offered our NFTs, but they were real things that you can do. You know, you can, you know, own a piece of a team and 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 be treated like an owner. Mm -hmm. 
when when I, I look at the league, I look at the player retention. And so it makes me want to, how would the contract structure with the players? Is it season by season or is it multi-year? Because, I, I mean, I've seen James White play almost every year. Yeah. You had ISO Joe Killing. And I, I mean, he's yeah. I mean, he's probably going to be in the big three Hall of Fame. Without so, a doubt. So, so how, how does that work with the players? How, how do you structure contracts with them? Usually sign one or two-year contracts. Um you know, we, it's, it's depending on success. Um, you know, if you're winning, that's my phone, sorry. But if you're winning, you know, we want you back. If you're not winning, then we may make a move here and there. You know, it's really about, and how long you've been with your squad and your team. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's, uh, you know, if you've been there a while and y'all ain't really got over the hump, we, we may make a change. And what happens is we pick the player captain. And and he gets to pick who he wants to play with. So the co-captains are his choice. Mm. And then and then they draft two players from, from the combine to make up the, the rest of the roster. And so um you know, we have certain rules though too, that if you win a championship, that same squad has to return to defend. Mm. Um and the runner up team they can return with the same squad too, but they have to send one player back to the draft pool and pick a new player. And then everybody else, the the captains and co-captains stay the same, but all they draft players got to go back to the pool and get, they got to, you know, re-up. You know, if you're not winning, you got to re-up. Um, so that's pretty much how it goes. So James White, they've, they've you know, won or have gotten to the, playoffs or the championship and so you know he he's there you know what i'm saying there's no reason to pull him because they've been winning the championship you know shout shout out to steven jackson yeah for sure <laughs> but there's been a lot of talk lately about player conduct from the nba side right and i want to talk about this john Morant situation because i see a lot of people like well he has a right to bear arms but then it's like, well, he works for a private organization. So have you ever had any issues with your league as far as player conduct? And what's your personal thoughts on specifically the John Morant situation? Um, yeah, I mean, we want players to conduct themselves in a professional manner. What's cool, we're dealing with players that's older, you know, been around the game a little bit. You know, we're not dealing with kids. You know, we're 22 and up. Mm -hmm. Um so, you know, we want we want people to conduct themselves in the right way. We're not going to micromanage our players, though. You know, at a certain point, you know, what they do outside of the league is pretty much their business. Um, but the NBA is a different, you know, it's a different league. They got different standards. Um, you know, I, I just want him to be treated like other players that's – Brandish guns on, on, you know, on pitchers or whatever, um, you know. So it's complicated, you know. It's like it's like marijuana, you know. Mm -hmm. what I'm saying like you're in a state that that uh, is legal for recreational use. Do you suspend a guy on camera smoking a blunt? You know. Um, it's it's real tricky. So, 
You know, I just think you just take everything into consideration. It doesn't help his brand. And I think he should consider that, you know, that little five minutes of being cool with your homies. It don't do nothing for you. Mm. It don't do nothing for you, you know, so probably should put the guns down. You probably don't want to need a gun. You know, in this life, you don't want to need a gun. So I'm saying, so, you know, playing with it is some, is ridiculous. You shouldn't play with guns, period. You brought up marijuana, and so it made me think of being a league of first, because you were the first league to accept marijuana and CBD yes. as it's something that you can use inside of the league. You're also the first with a four-point play. Yeah. You're also and first embrace. to hire a female coach yep. to, to lead a, a team. We're the first to embrace mental health. First to embrace mental So being in a league of first, you're setting trends, and I'm wondering what the relationship is like with the other league, right? You brought up the NBA. So is there a positive relationship there where they're watching what you guys are doing and saying, like, maybe these are some of the things that we can now accept? Do you feel like you're setting those, those trends in that way? I mean, I think they're taking things that we're doing and watching us, and we're, you know, somewhat guinea pig for it. Um, but, you know, we've taken some things from the NBA, too, so we understand that. I think – I don't think they like the fact that we change the game without asking. Hmm. We we do what's best for the big three. And they they might not dig that because they have a business model. You know, their players watch what we do. Um, and, you know, they they may want to be the only ones to change the game. Um, but it's too late. So I have a theory that virtual reality is going to change sports because mm-hmm. um, I feel like it just makes complete sense. Like if you could pay to actually put a headset on and like be front row with Javante Davis throwing punches or LeBron or whatever, right? Like I feel like virtual reality is going to be big, period. But I feel like sports, particularly basketball, football, and boxing. So – how do you feel about that? And is that something that you would incorporate in your league as far as to have like, and not right now, but in the future, a virtual reality component where people can actually pay and have a virtual reality experience from home? Yeah, without a doubt. You know, however they want to experience the big three. Um, you know, it's a challenge to to get 10, 12,000 people in an arena and you're free on TV. <laughs> so... You know, some people are going to want to watch it at home. Uh, like me, I prefer watching boxing at home. You know, I've been to a couple of matches and shit, if you blink. So, so <laughs> and you know, I like the announcers. I like the angles. I like the replays. I like all that. So, you know, I, that doesn't make me, you know, um, less of a boxing fan. Uh, so, so people going to have a um, on preference. And, and you know, we would be crazy to try to shun the technology that's available um, for people to experience the big three because it's all about eyeballs now. You know, um, it's all about as many people seeing the game, you know, loving the game for, uh, and, and staying interested in the game. Um, that's the most important thing right now, you know, um, making money off tickets, um, getting a big uh, contract 
for streaming and all these to me is not the way to blow up the league. The way to blow up the league is eyeballs, eyeballs, eyeballs. Uh, and so we'll do whatever it takes to get those eyeballs on us, you know, whether you come or watch on TV or virtually. Yeah. One of the things when you're creating some innovative, and this is something we've learned is you got to document the process. Yeah. Document it all. And so I know you're working with Jesse Collins Entertainment, who is phenomenal in, the, in covering, especially us. Yeah. Covering us in, in the right manner. So talk about that. and Because I know a lot of it is built around some of the, the challenges that it took you to get to this point with the league. Without a doubt, man. You know, people wouldn't understand how hard it's been these last seven years um, because of the obstacles. And not only obstacles from the outside, but obstacles within, you know, dealing with, 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 uh, with, you know, people who have ulterior motives for the league, you know, and, and so, you know, it's been, it's been a challenge, but, you know, we up for it, you know, we kind of knew it wasn't going to be a cakewalk that, you know, starting a league from scratch is virtually impossible um, because so many things got to go right. And and you can get attention, but keeping it here is a is another animal. So um, it's been a challenge, but but um, I think people dig it. I know the players love it. I know fans love it. And to me, I wouldn't want to do anything else right now you know another movie another record like you know i could do that but this right here is something that's huge and humongous and and so this is where i want to be so i want to ask you about hollywood actually because you start in music and become a superstar and then you just go on a crazy run in hollywood um but so Director, producer, screenwriter, and actor. You actually have done all of the four. I believe one movie you did all four is Players Club, right? Mm -hmm. So when you first start in, in Hollywood, Boys in the Hood is your first movie? Yeah. Classic. That's classic. Classic. Yeah. So, hey, I got, all right, let's start there. <laughs> when you're doing Boys in the Hood, do you, in your mind, know, like, this is something that is going to be a game changer? No. Nah, you know, as a matter of fact, when I first saw the rough cut, it, you know, never show somebody a rough cut if they don't <laughs> know the process <laughs> because I was pissed off. You know, I left, called my manager at the time, and I was like, we fucked up. <laughs> we fucked up doing this movie. It don't even look like a movie. It's all I. It, it feel flat, and um. And she was like, "What you talking about?" I said, "John, show me a piece of it." Well, he showed me the movie, but it it's unfinished. It look don't look finished. She said, "Did he say it was finished?" I said, "No." Let's let him finish the movie. Let him finish the movie. So, from the time I had seen the rough cut to the time he showed me the finished movie. I was pissed off. You know, I was thinking, man. What didn't you like about it? Well, you know, it just didn't have all the sound effects in it. Mm. It didn't have, 
you know, if you watch a movie without without them sound effects and things, it feel flat. Mm, yeah. You know, somebody set a cup down, you don't hear the fucking cup. You know, you like <laughs> you see a car go by, you don't hear the car. You know what I mean? It just seemed like the hell, why is this movie missing sounds? You know, I know I see, I should be hearing. But he had to put all that in and he had to edit it and polish it up. And so when I seen it finished, then I knew I was like, this is some shit. You know, this is a good ass movie. Like this is this is something that uh is gonna is gonna change people's outlook on on guys that come from our neighborhood, you know. Yeah. Did you feel that's interesting because now I'm thinking about it at the time, this is after America's Most Wanted. This is after or right around the same time as Death Certificate. Are you thinking this is a risk because I'm Ice Cube, the rap star who's from NWA, who has a solo career that's thriving, and here I am trying to act. Because at the time, we don't really yeah. see too many people in, in rap that's acting. It's, it's, yeah. like, it's you and you. Kid and play. <laughs> Kid and play. House party. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was a risk. Ice T was acting a little bit. Oh, he's in colors. Yep. Yeah, but uh, he's in breaking. He's in breaking and shit. But, but it was uh, yeah. I was like, man, you know, I want to do good. I'm not an actor. Like, kept telling John, I'm not. A, I'm not an actor, man. You know, like, I don't. I don't. I don't even want to be an actor. You know what I'm saying? I just want to do good in the movie. Mm -hmm. And so taking that attitude and taking that approach, and he helped me through it. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne helped me through it. Cuba Gooden Jr. Um, you know, they all, they all, you know, helped me get comfortable with doing that. Yeah. Like, you know, you can feel stupid acting. You know what I mean? Like you got all these people looking. And you just gotta do some some shit that that's written down from a piece of paper and not from your true heart, you know. So it was an adjustment. Yeah, I, I'm thinking to myself now. You you start Boys in the Hood, John Singleton, rest in peace. The influence there, but you come back with higher learning with him again. So talk about the role he played inside of you, thinking about screenwriting, producing, directing, everything. You know, he discovered me as an actor. He. Uh, he 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 coached me as a as a writer, um, and he helped me as a director. Like he actually came to the set when I was shooting Players Club, and helped me. This big scene, I was running out of time, and he just helped me organize it and get it shot. And so he just he just stopped by to see what was up. You know, he didn't stop by to work. And um, he stayed there with me for six to eight hours to make sure it just got done right. And so I really needed him that day. And uh, I appreciated him helping me um, because, you know, he went to film school. He went to, mm -hmm. to these things to prepare him. You know, I didn't I didn't do nothing but shoot videos and 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 I was on a few movie sets. So um he he was my mentor throughout, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have done film and produced and done these things without without John. 
you know, basically being a, a, an, a living example and then helping me when I needed it. So how do you even have, because most people, I, you become a successful actor. A lot of people just stay in that pocket and you could have just been a successful actor. But like I said, to go screenwriter, producer and director, I think the first, the first thing that you wrote was Friday. Was that? No, it? no, that's the third, third movie I wrote. Uh, he, he encouraged me to write. He, he asked me, you know, I was sitting in his house one day and he was like, yo, when are you going to write a movie? And I'm like, what? <laughs> I said, man, I'm barely getting this acting shit right. <laughs> he said, you, you expect every script you get to be as good as Boys in the Hood? That's what he said. I'm like, I don't know. He said, no, man. He said, Hollywood is full of trash. He said, if you want to do good movies, you should write them. So, and then he said, yo, if you can write a record, like the records you write, you can write a movie. So that kind of gave me the, the encouragement to to just start writing. And then he would help me, you know, I would take him my scripts. He would read them, you know, they was trash, but, <laughs> but he would help me get better. And um, I wrote a script called America Eats This Young, which is uh, from my old Funkadelic record. And then I wrote another one called Full Life. And then I wrote Friday. With, with DJ Pooh, legendary. So Friday, you wrote you wrote that that comes out classic. That changed the games again. You, yeah. When you so this time you got, you're a little bit more seasoned in Hollywood, and you actually wrote it. So when you wrote Friday, did you have an idea that that was gonna be as big as it turned out to be? For 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 the cool people, <laughs> you know, I felt like we're gonna do a hood movie and. Not from the hood, you might not understand what's going on, but that's cool. Long as people from the hood know what's going on, because I felt like everybody I liked in Hollywood that was black. Earners, what's going on? Listen, EYLU is relaunching, revamping, retooling. That's right, we're creating a new educational experience that's more expensive. Shari, tell me what we got. Yes, 2023. We got a lot in store, a lot planned for you guys. So you know that EYLU already includes monthly financial planning calls with me, book club calls with Troy, real estate calls with MG the Mortgage Guy, access to the home buying blueprint, volume one and volume two. Part of the revamp will include 27 local chapters from across the United States, live interactive teaching, hands-on, not just pre-recorded videos, plus 15 brand new curriculums. The biggest just got bigger. Head over to EYLUniversity.com. That's E-Y-L-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y.com. See you there. I had hood classics, uh, and I wanted mine. You know, I mean, I had boys in the hood, but I wanted my own. So I was, you know, working on that because I was like, if get a hood classic, then... People always gonna like this movie, and they always gonna hire me as an actor if I ever have to, you know, rely on my past to to get work in the future. So, having a hood classic was was most important. Uh, I think you you might be, and sorry, maybe you can correct me. You might be the only person with a classic five mic album and a classic movie. That's his. What you think? Definitely. Ever? Yeah. A classic movie that he that he made that he made he made the movie yeah and a classic album like for, when five mics meant something you have five mics that's mm -hmm. a fact 
and Friday. We, I mean, Boys in the Hood alone was a classic. Yeah, that's yours. But Friday is yours. Yours. That might be a new thing. I'm. I'm. So that. How long did it take to shoot? Because it was like maybe a couple twenty days. Twenty days to shoot. Yeah. So as you writing is one thing, right? But this business side of it, and we've seen it with production, is you got to pay these people. Yeah. Right. You got who? So who's teaching you about budgets? Like who you need the lighting, the direct, who who who's teaching you about that? Is it is it John as well? Um, I had a great manager by the name of Pat Charbonnet, and um, she's actually a producer on the Friday movie. But between her and me, we was just figuring it out, you know, figuring out who we wanted to use um, to help us uh, here and there, and so. We just, you know, worked on finding the right crew, you know. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it was really, you know, her knowledge of the business that, that helped us get that movie done in 20 days. So what, can I do a follow-up really quickly? Because uh, you, you you alluded to it, Players Club. Yeah. Right, out of 40 films, it's the only one that you have directing, producing, screenwriter, and acted in. Yeah, was, and did the soundtrack. And did the soundtrack. I'm wondering, because... It, why is that the only one that you did? It was it something that you saw from the production side that was like, or directing side that was like, this, this is a lot. Well, directing kind of takes you out of the game for about a year, year and a half. You're you're stuck on one project, you know. And I didn't want to be bogged down, so I, I actually like producing better than directing. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to find a director that I can work with and then produce the movie because <clears throat> I'm not as bogged down. You know, I can, I can actually produce um, three movies in the same time as I could direct one. Um, and so I just felt like I didn't want to, I don't want to be bogged down like that again to have to, you know, I, I wrote the movie, so I was I was on that movie forever, like writing it, then uh, getting it where somebody wanted to make it, then casting it, shooting it, editing, doing the soundtrack, you know, putting it out and commentating the DVD. And, you know, so since you look up and it's a long time on one thing instead of doing multiple so speaking of the Friday, was there lessons that you know? Because correct me if I'm wrong, was there issues with Warner Brothers? Because they own the franchise, right? Warner Brothers, they are they they distribute the franchise. Okay. So they they distributed the first one, and it has in the contract that they they have the right to distribute each one. Each after. one. After. So what were there issues trying to make more Fridays? Like they have to approve something. Before you could actually make a Friday? Yeah. So talk about that. If well, we, you know, we did the first one and and I wasn't going to do another one after that. Um, they approached me. Could you want to think, could you think of another one? Um, so I said, yeah. And then I approached Chris Tucker. He didn't want to do it. So I was like, oh, okay. This is kind of throw a little monkey wrench in, in the movie. So... So we did it next Friday with Mike Caps. That was great. People loved it. Then we did Friday at the next. And then they asked me to write a fourth one. And I wrote. And they 
they had an issue because um, Craig and Day Day ends up in jail from selling weed, you know, <laughs> and finally end up in jail. And Debo and the Joker Brothers is trying to, you know, I mean, they in jail too, so they're trying to, you know, trying to, you know, stab them up and shit. So they just was like, jail's not funny. You know, nobody, nobody's going to laugh about being in jail. And I'm like, you're ridiculous. Like, then all these movies come out, like Orange is New Black and and Let's Go to Jail. and Life. Life <laughs> and, you know, Get Hard and all this shit. And I'm like, okay. So y- y'all definitely don't know what y'all talking about. <clears throat> so I just kind of, you know, that was in 2013. You know, so I just kind of stopped paying attention to them. Then they asked again. They begged again for me to write another one. So, so I'm going to write one to fit this time. Won't be about jail. And they loved it, but they just had these little notes that they kept. Trying to change things. Trying to change it. And I'm like, dude, you guys do not know what needs to go on a Friday movie. Like, stop pretending like you, you guys are smart when it comes to this shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know it. I know it's going to work. I know it's not going to work. And... They just kept messing around, knowing those back and forth, back and forth, you know, six months of this shit. And then uh, John Witherspoon passed away. Mm. So they like just fucked around till the man passed away. And then Tiny passes yeah, away. Yep, yep. AJ Johnson. It's like the movie, we we're going to go back on the block. And so, you know, uh, I've been trying to get it get control of the franchise um since then so you you essentially let me just yeah. you essentially you wrote two you actually wrote two more fridays yeah and that's never came out yeah obviously yeah so you say you're trying to get control of the franchise how how, how do you go about trying to get control of the franchise um you know i mean of course appealing to their superiors on you know their Basically sleeping on money. Is it like a buyout thing? Maybe like if you pay, you can. Not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna pay for it. I'm just. I'm just. I'm not gonna pay. You know what they need to do is let me control it, and they'll make a lot of money. But Mm. they're not gonna make it from me. So you're open to doing another one. I'm open to seeing if another one can be done. Yeah. While while you're doing that, while that's happening, there's still other franchises being created that you're involved in. Yeah. Right. So barbershop. Yeah. Is, is right there. Do you have the are we there yet? Yep. And so now you're like a entrenched in family households. I wonder what that experience was like for you from boys hood to that point. Like there's a generation where it's like, oh, Ice Cube, the guy who makes the kid movies. Like I grew up, Ice Cube was the dude that was telling us that the police and I was like, Yeah, I'm yeah. with this. I'm with this. So <laughs> like what, what how's that transition because we don't see people grow, right? We don't see our artists grow, we don't see yeah. them evolve. And we don't see them have these moments. So what was that transition like for you? It's amazing, you know, to be able to sustain love in in families. And, like, once I realized my fans, my core fans were having kids and their kids was in elementary and junior (laughs) high, I felt like, okay, it's time to do something to 
to make sure I'm still cool in this household, that household, or whatever. You know, last thing I want you to look at your kid and be like, Ice Cube, you should you should look him up. He used to be he used to be cool, you know what I mean? We used to rock him. <laughs> you know, he used to used to used Let to Let me put this record up. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't want to be that guy. You know, I wanted I wanted the kids to know who I was. So the way to do that is to do a movie that they love and that's always gonna get played. Like, see, are we there yet? The kids grow up, they love it, but they outgrow it. But then there's always new kids coming up who their parents is like, yo, mm-hmm. sick of you bugging me, stick you in front of a movie, put in Are We There Yet? So the love is regenerated. Rege- uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? With each with each generation that, that watch that movie, they end up growing up and then they reach a point where they discover my music, they discover my 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 other movies and stuff. So yeah. it's uh it's a way to reju- rejuvenate fans yeah. and, and to make sure that that the youngsters know who you are and they're not just relying on you should have heard death certificate. You know what I mean? You should have heard today was a good day. Yeah. You, you've done something very unique inside of that too, and that's providing opportunities. So that that's the first time we see Eve in a movie. It's yeah. The first time we see Nicki Minaj in, in that type of role. Are you were super intentional about that? Like giving opportunities to people, especially in the rap world? If they're great, you know what I mean? If they're good, if they if they have a a a, a personality that I think people wanna see more of. Um, yeah, you know, it's really all about being the right person for the role. Um, and so, you know, I didn't know they was all going to work out. You know what I mean? Never know how it's going to be when they, when they actually audition or they come on set. But yeah, I want to give people a shot that, that Hollywood may be overlooking. So speaking of Hollywood screenwriters, they're on strike right now. And this goes back to the Web3 conversation where somebody told me and I just I started thinking about it. And I'm like, they might not have as much leverage this time because of chat GBT. And it's like, well, if I can have a computer write a script in a day, then I don't necessarily need a screenwriter. True. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think, you know, it's something that's um, very real and... And it can happen. Yeah, you can have a computer write you a script in a day. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, will it be as as real as a person writing it? Will it have that feel to it? Um, who knows? You know, it's a, it's a new world. That's why they on strike. You know, they want to, you know, curve it in some ways. You know, the worst thing is for them to tell the studios not to do it, but then they go home and do it. (laughs) (laughs) When it's time for them to turn in that script. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, um, technology is here. Everybody got to make an adjustment. Um, I don't know if I want all my entertainment to you know, come from an artificial source, you know, I may just check out and, you know, people be scrolling more and 
looking at real stuff. You know, I think that the the hunger for reality is going to start growing as more and more artificial things take over. You know, I, I even think it's a backlash right now with music. Well, I was going to ask you about the mm-hmm. music. Because you have a lot of people using uh, auto-tunes and they sounding like a computer. And, and I don't know if people are going to go for that did you much a, longer. Did you hear the Timberland song with Big? Yeah, I did. How you feel about it? I didn't like it because it's artificial. <laughs> you know, I mean, I treat it like a sample. You know, I can sample the Isley Brothers, but uh, not the Isley Brothers. <laughs> you know, it's just a, a piece of of how great they are. You know, it's a sample. It's a portion. It's not the re- it's not the Isley Brothers, you know, it's my interpretation of that. So um, I guess you would look at this like you would look at sampling. Yeah, and in terms of the movies and writing, there was a phase when you did the the family comedies, like the ones we alluded to earlier. You did the Buddy Cops films with, yeah. with, with 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street. I remember watching the original show, Holly Robinson. Was Ride there. along with a Ride Kevin. along with Kevin. Is there a, a genre or a topic that you feel like you're headed toward that you haven't done yet? I think I could do more dramas. I mean, I, I like with the success of my comedies. Um, most people shove comedies in my face. Most movies I get green litter comedy. So, you know, I got some dramas in me. So, What's that process like of getting it green lit? So for most people, they don't even understand. It's like you write the movie, then it's, What's the next step? I have to get it to... You write the movie, um, you polish it up as tight as you can get it, and and you, uh, you know, you pitch the idea to the people you know. You know, I know from being out in Hollywood for 30 years, I know people at different studios that you could say, hey, I got something. You know, we pitching. We're going to be going around to different studios and telling them the idea on this date you want it you want want me to come in and so you set up a bunch of meetings where you go around town uh pitching the idea and um you know people respond to it yo we like it we want it and um then you send them the script um the script go through whatever process it go through at the studio i think the marketing team has to sign off on it you know, you don't want to do a movie that they can't sell. Mm-hmm. So a lot of different departments sign off on it before it's green lit. Green lit means the studio has agreed to make it. Uh, everybody has signed off on it and you need actual signatures. And um, once you get all the signatures you need, the movie, you know, they start to spend money and the movie is actually green lit when they start to spend money. Do you put the budget as how much it's going to cost to make it, or yeah. do they figure it out? Yeah, you uh, you take the script, you you get it to a line producer. A line producer, he uh, he breaks down how much it's going to cost, how many days it's going to take to shoot, how you know what you need, how many locations, and you know he kind of breaks the script down to puzzle pieces and um. And each piece costs a certain amount of money to create. Mm. So, you know, you look up and it's like, yo, 
for this much money, you could shoot 30 days because it costs, you know, one thirtieth per day. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so depends on how much it costs per day. That's how many days you got to shoot on how much your budget is. You know what I'm saying? So it costs a million dollars a day and you got $30 million, you got 30 days to shoot. So um, sports and activism has always kind of gone hand in hand in the black community from John Carlos at the Olympics to Muhammad Ali to modern day, Colin Kaepernick to Kyrie Irving. You have been very vocal as an activist for a long period of time in a variety of different political situations that you've taken part in. Now you're actually an owner of a sports league. Mm -hmm. So what's your thoughts on players taking social stances and what's your just thoughts in general on sports and political activism, racial different things coming coming together like what's your thoughts on that because a lot of people think that it should be separate some people think that they should go hand in hand like what's your thoughts i think um nobody want to see robots play if that's the case then you know everybody would be creating their own lebron james robot you know so nobody want to see robots play so human beings with opinions um you know, do I want you shouting out anything political in the middle of a jump shot? No. <laughs> but don't you <laughs> but before well before and after the game, man, they put a mic in your face. You got the mic. I'm I come from a from a a, a culture of you got the mic, use it. You know, um and you could change somebody's attitude, you know, you could change somebody's thought process um, if they hear from the right person, you know. I, I remember different people coming up to my school and speaking, and some people I paid attention to, some people I didn't. It depends on how much that I like them, respect them, understand what they was about. So sometimes it takes an athlete to get the message across, more than a politician or a teacher or preacher or whatever. So, you know, everybody should be able to voice their opinion. Um, depend, you know, it don't depend. I mean, it don't matter if they play a sport or not. Would, okay. would there be, throughout your career, you've pretty much done a variety of different things from speaking out against the police, political issues, acting, rapping, sports. Is there anything that you feel uncomfortable? Like, I, I don't want to, like, this is not my lane? Because it seems like everything is your lane. Like, is there anything where it's like, I'm staying away from this? Yes, plenty of things. Um, you know, I I just want to do what I feel like I could be, I can be additive, you know what I mean? Be good at. I don't want to, I don't want to take away I don't want to just do stuff because I can. I want to do it when I know I could do a good job. And so I, you know, I do a lot, but I make sure that I don't do too much where I can't do a good job. You know, the last thing is, um, you know, this saying, um, 
jack of all trades, master of none, is still better than being a master of one. But I don't want to do so many things that 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 my music or my acting or or the sports starts to diminish because I'm just spinning too many plates. A jack of all trades, a master of none is better. I've never heard anybody say that before. I've never heard the second part. I've never yeah, heard the second, the second part. part. You know, people forget the second part. They always say, you don't want to be a jack of all trades and a master of none, but it's still being, it's still better than being a master of one. Mm. So, you don't want to do everything, but you don't want to just single out to just one thing, too, either. So, I think it's about balance. It's about knowing when you've reached your limit. Um, and I want to learn about a game and understand it before I get in it anyway. So I'm always, you know, I, I want to respect the game before I get in it. Because if not, you're going to lose. I want to go back to 1991. The line was, either they don't know, don't show, or don't give a fuck about what's going on in the hood. Yeah. More important than the line, which is very important, was the shirt that you were wearing. It said Crenshaw on it. Mm-hmm. That sparked a movement inside of a young man that we know now as the late Dipsy Hustle. I wonder what your thoughts were when you saw the impact that that shirt had on this community and and obviously on him and the whole Marathon brand. Um, I, I didn't really make too much of it because the, the shirt, you know, and, and Crenshaw has had a, a profound impact on me. You know what I mean? So it's hard to look and say, uh, yeah, I did that. When when I I was affected the same way. Um, you know, the area it used you know, it, it was boulevard where, you know, people would go hang out with their cars, their women, their music. Um, and so to be able to, to just even highlight that area on film was, you know, I felt honored, you know what I mean? So anybody taking that and running with it, you know, to me was, was, was an honor that I, I, I'll bestow on John instead of myself. Did, so did you, do you watch Snowfall? The show? No, nah, I couldn't watch Snowfall. Why, why couldn't you watch it? Um, because John, you know, John wasn't there to complete the vision. The the reason I ask is because the the last scene, well, the, the last yeah, the last scene. Yeah, I seen that part. I was wondering how how you interpreted because it, it was kind of an ode to Boys in the Hood. Yeah, he's walking through the alley that it, it, it reminded me of the alley that Ricky was running down. Yeah, you want to see a dead body, right? You want to see a dead body, and they're, they're filming Boys in the Hood as they're doing it. Yeah, so it felt like an ode to John. So I was thinking about. How, you know, your thoughts on it? Because you were involved in that movie and obviously John was the creator of Snowfall. I thought it was an amazing, um, they call it an Easter egg or whatever, mm. an amazing homage and, and um, tribute to John. And and we probably had some people around there screaming, that, <laughs> you know, uh, what y'all making, what y'all doing? Right, right, right. Um, I mean, I don't like him yelling, you ain't going to win the Oscar, but you know, silly niggas yell that shit sometimes. But, <laughs> but for the most part, I thought it was real cool. thought it was a great way to, to put a cherry on top and, and make 
you know, John's, you know, vision somewhat full circle. Cause he's always seen, you know, he saw Boys in the Hood and Poetic Justice and Baby Boy as a trilogy. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, this was his, you know, um, weekly crack at it, so to speak. So, you know, I wish he was able to, that it was his vision throughout the whole series. But that, but that ending was, uh, Real classy. Was is TV more challenging than? Because you've done TV like too. Is TV more challenging than a movie? Or I think so, because with TV you gotta you gotta basically create a movie every week. Hmm. With a movie, you just you know it's a one shot deal, and so I think TV is harder to keep up with that pace. Before we leave, I just gotta ask a couple of rap questions. Yes. Um, Let's do it. It's fitting because the last time we was here, I asked Baron Davis the same this same exact question. Mm -hmm. So I'll be interested to get your take on it. Um, your top five rappers from LA. Wow. From LA. Um, man, we got some cold rappers out here. I don't miss nobody, you know. I like, uh, can we claim corrupt? Yeah. Yes. For sure. Yes. For yes, sure. Yes, yes, for sure. Yes, yes. sure. <laughs> Man, I love, I, I can't put them in order though. Okay. No, 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 that's no. fine. That's fine. Man, I love corrupt. Okay. That's I think fine. he wanted the coldest. Um, and it could be surrounding areas, Compton, Long Beach, though. Yeah. Kendrick is cold. Okay. The game is cold. Okay. Um, Raz Cass. Interesting choice. Um, Crooked Eye. No Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg is a superstar on all levels. <laughs> pure rhyming. Oh, rap, pure I, I, rap. Yeah. Okay. Raw, uh, grab the mic okay. and kill Bars. It. Just bars. Bars. You okay. know, those, those to me are, you know, are... Uh, the bars. I, I, I'm going to make something even more general. It's 50 years of hip-hop, right? If we're putting a playlist together, what are five songs that have to be in the the 50? The 50 years of hip-hop. What are some of the five greatest songs? Um, I will put The Breaks. Okay. Uh, Rapper's Delight. Okay. Um... The show. Classic. Um damn, I'm down to two fingers left. <laughs> I'm just, I ain't even left the 80s yet. Um, um wow. Man, this is it's hard after that. Like, um wow. Man, them last two. I, can, I, can I put one in? Go for Did it. In my top fifty. Yeah, today is a good day. Is in the top. Okay, all right, no, no problem. Like, I, like I know you're gonna be humbly speaking. Yeah, I ain't, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna put in that one in. Top fifty best hip hop songs. I, I appreciate one that. of those things, man. I appreciate <laughs> that. That plays forever. It's one of those songs. Yeah, it's like I mean, summertime for Will Smith. It, 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 yeah, exactly. but, but it's so many. It's like you know, um, treat her right. Goddamn. Uh, 
it's like it's so many. It's tough. It's too many. It's too many. It's too many. Man, it's just like yeah. It's it's too many to. It's too many to too narrow. Many, yeah. Well, it's here, too many super- here might be an easier one. And I know you're obviously in a much more positive light these days, but it's important to the culture. I think when you spar with your opponent, right? It's a core element of hip hop. Yeah. You have one of the top battle songs ever. The top battle. The top. Okay. The top. What's your top whoa, five? Oh, he said the top. The no, top. No Vaseline is the top battle song ever. And it's not even close. It's not, not even, even close. close. That? Okay. All right, now we have to have so, a So, all right, so what's you. the top five battle? No Vaseline is number one for you. What's the top four other than that battle songs? I mean, I would go with... Um, you know, hit him up is is a good. Hit him up, okay. okay. Ether is is dope. Ether. Um, I would go with uh, come on, cube. You an '80s guy? Oh, uh, you an '80s guy? Come on, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, he's an '80s guy. Trying to influence you. Trying to go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Um, oh man, I'm I'm gonna have to go with uh. The bridge is over. There we go. That's what. That's what. Yeah. That's, um, there we go. And uh, I don't know. I, I I think I gotta go with let's go. Let's go. Yeah. What, what was let's go again? Kumo D. Kumo D. No takeover. Takeover honorable or or back to back. Back to back is dope back too. To back is serious. Yeah. That became like a number one record. Yeah. yeah it was Grammy nominated. <laughs> <laughs> Fifty got one too. What was that? Uh, back down. Back. Officer Ricky. No, back down. He got a couple back of things he was back down. Oh, it's yes. crazy. Yes, 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 yes. Back yes. down. <sighs> but I don't think it's as strong as like takeovers or songs. So. Yeah. Dude, that's t- that's in the five. But Ether. No, I would say no Vaseline and Ether. I'm surprised. You- Here's why it's no Vaseline. Okay. You know, argue this with us. One MC. Took out four MCs and the manager. Four MCs and the manager. <laughs> Can't beat that. Takeover. Well, no, Ether. Ether took out a record. A label. record label. That took him out. Put him on a pause. Hyena. I mean, they had to rearrange some things. Rearrange. I, mean, I broke up a group. You did. No. Yeah. That was kind of the Template. beginning of the end for Rufus. <laughs> It was. All right, so no vessel. I guess like Bone Thugs, right? They they came back. Yeah, Bone Thugs was incredible. Do you do you miss that element of, of hip hop? Like I said, I mean, of course, nobody wants to see violence and stuff like that, but do you miss the element? Because there's still people beefing each other now, but now it's it's real beef. Like, do you miss the element of people actually making? Because it's not easy to make a song about somebody. You got to think. You got to do research. You're like cannabis is up there as well. Second round now. No, we can't forget about that. We that's no, no, no. We can't. Honorable mention. That's up there. Yeah. Okay. 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 Do, do you miss that part of hip hop? Um, I don't know. You know, it's like it's like fighting. You know, it's it's, it's cool when somebody else is fighting. You yeah. watch, but <laughs> when you're in the fight, you don't know where it's really gonna go. I don't know how cool you feel. It's like battle. You know, it's kind of like you putting. You know, not only yourself, but your crew in some kind of, you know, um, possible danger. You know what I mean? You don't know how out of hand it's ever going to get. And usually when people battling or going at it like that on the record, 
is serious before they get a chance to have a conversation. Sometimes they can squash it. You you compared the making movies to making TV. You're saying like they're making a movie every week. I wonder what that's like for you, especially while you were creating these franchises. The process of writing a movie as opposed to writing an album. Is it the same creative mind flow? Like what, what's that process? What was it like for you? No, I mean, you know, writing a movie is, uh, you know, I, I looked at it kind of like a hobby. You know, it's like my downtime. I may, I may be out of town. I may be on a movie and just bored, like in my dressing room, like in my trailer. So I'll start writing just to be creative and not just have a lot of dead space. With a record, you know, I'm, I'm, I got a beat. I'm like, you know, I'm, I want kind of instant satisfaction. With a movie, I know it's like this is a long, drawn-out process. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of take a different approach. The music, you know, you want you want to hear something, record something, and you want it to be dope when it come out the speaker. Like, Instant. you need that shit. Like, if it's not sounding good, immediately you start to, you know, either break it back down or change things or just, you know, you got to get it to that process. You got to get it sounding good immediately. I got two more music questions for you before we finish. It's very important. Versus. Would you do a versus and who would you, who do you think is the ideal dancing partner because I, how i look at versus it's not always like this is the best person this is the best person they got to kind of compliment each other like yeah a good dancing partner like i don't think two chains and rick ross was a good pairing not from a skill standpoint but it just it wasn't a good dancing partner ti and rick ross is probably a better dancing partner so how you feel about would you do a versus and if so who would you want to do a versus with I, I wouldn't do a versus but um i think me and ll would be a Great verses. Was, so why, why wouldn't you do a verse? Because we both can grip and rip. You know what I'm saying? We both can grab the mic and and spit it. Mm -hmm. And and we both can perform our songs. So I think it'd be great. We both got hits. Um and you know, he got a lot of hits. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He got a lot of hits. So I just think it'd be a good one, but I, I wouldn't do it. Why not? Because I respect him too much. I can't go against LL. But it don't have to be a battle. It could be like, because earlier... How, think, how it's not going to be well, a battle? It, it wasn't always Dipset and Locks turned it into the battle. But before that, it was just... Because even Ghostface and Ray did a versus together. Like Before the, the Dipset and Locks, it was more so like complimenting each other, play a song. It was very friendly. Once Jada Kids got up there and took Santana's bandana off, <laughs> it hasn't been the same. Since. Yeah, that was the beginning of the end of, uh, of yeah. that type. Yeah. No, I'm good. <laughs> All right. Well, my last question, my last music question, how you feel about artists selling their catalogs and would you sell your catalog? Um, I think, you know, you got to do what you feel is right for yourself and your family, you know, at the time. Um, I don't think I would sell my catalog because I think it's, uh, I mean, it's a valuable piece to our puzzle in, in um, my estate. For my kids, my family, um, you know, once you sell it, then, you know, you do something with that money and then 
you you kind of lose out on what ownership is all about. You know, I I love when people call me and be like, "Yo, we want to put this song in this movie here," and it's like, you know, that's the reason you own a song or own your publishing to be able to grant that and get that extra money. You know, it's it's part of the game. You, you talked about family. You talked about estate. I wonder what it's like watching your son establish himself as an actor in this field. Amazing. I mean, I mean, who else could play you in the, in the movie but your son? And he killed that. So what is that like? Because most people we see in music, their children want to do music. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yours followed you in acting. How's that, how's that been? It's been great. You know, I couldn't have, like, you know, written out a better script, you know, for, for it to happen the way it did. And the fact that he's not only, you know, taking that role, but he's he's run with his career. You know, he's in Spain right now doing Dinner Thieves 2. And, you know, as a father, you just want your kids to be good kids. And then you want them to do something cool that they dig. And uh, I think he's he loving life right now. You know, he he loving life. So. Proud of him, man, and uh, proud of all my kids. You know, all my kids are are great people, and that's that's you know that's what you want at the end of the day. You know, as long as I ain't raising no no jailbirds and no dope heads, you know what I'm saying. I'm I'm happy. How long have you been married? Been married for right now. It's about thirty one years. Going on thirty one years. How has that impacted your career? Um, I'm sure, it, and we have people don't really talk about that a lot, but how that family having the stability in your family how important was that for you to be able to achieve the levels of success that you've been able to achieve wouldn't wouldn't be able to do it without without the family support and without being a family man um you know i i just think about all the time that um that could have been wasted that i ended up really staying focused uh, because I didn't have those distractions that I've seen some of my peers have. And so, you know, it's been an essential part of me being able to do so many things and do them at a high level. Um, you know, if I was just running around, you know, I probably wouldn't get, get most of that shit done. Q, appreciate your time, brother. Much Thank love, you. much respect. Um, how can it, when, when, Will the big three be airing again? Um, how can the people get information? Anything else you want to let the people know before? Check us out, the big three. We're going to be back for season six, starting June 25th uh, on CBS. Uh, we're starting out in Chicago all summer long from June 25th to August 26th, every weekend, either Saturday or Sunday. You can check out the big three on CBS. Yes. And um, I heard you got a celebrity all-star game. Yeah. Y'all ready to get down in it? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah. DC. Yeah. Y'all ready? Yeah. When is it? It's uh, it's, well, it's a week before the 26th. What is that? The, the We're going to put it in the calendar. Now. 19th. Okay. August 19th. Put it in the calendar. In the calendar. You no. Know, uh, yeah, man. It's in the calendar? Wallow. <laughs> NLE Chopper. You know, they. He can really hoop. They, they can ball. Chopper, so. yeah. I've seen them play yeah, before. Yeah, yeah they can ball. So. We'd love to have y'all come down there and show you what, you know, That's easy. show us what you got. <laughs> now, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. And and thank you for, you know, being 
a, a, a shining light for us, you know, watching from Boys in the Hood, talking about gentrification 30 years ago to not being afraid to be political, to, you know, doing the movies, to being an entrepreneur, to providing information game is something that I think a lot of people have gained a lot of insight from mm -hmm. inspiration, motivation, and education. So that's something that is extremely important. So thank you for everything that you've done for yeah. the culture and the world. Appreciate it, man. You know, much love. Just thanks for everybody for all the support. Uh, you know, you can't do this kind of stuff without the people, you know, supporting and, and, and showing you that they appreciate it and they want more. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I've had so many people motivate me. So to be able to motivate, you know, anybody from what I'm doing, you know, is just a, a blessing that comes off of, uh, you know, putting your, putting your head down and working hard, you know. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Yay, yay. Yay, yay. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with features and benefits like flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business, 24-7 support from a business card specialist trained to help with your business needs, and so much more. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.